how has technology, be it like process mapping platforms, process mining platforms, um, transformed how a continuous improvement team would approach a department uh, compared to maybe how a continuous improvement team would have approached a department in, let's say, 10 years ago? I think just the visualization is so important mm -hmm. because people kind of have uh, almost a vision of what they think the process is. Yes. But then all of a sudden we start mapping it out. And that's what we're, that's exactly what we're going to do next week is we're going to be mapping processes out. And what I've seen is people know like this slice of, of their process, but when it comes to the end to end, they're like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's I like, it's that. a wall. It's yeah. a snake. Yeah. It's a rabbit. Exactly. But it's actually an elephant. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on am I touching the ear, the trunk, yeah. the, the leg. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so it's just, I mean, it's almost like light bulbs going on. So. Hello and welcome to season two of Bots and Thoughts, the hyper automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. I'm your host, Jimmy Hewitt, aka Mr. Automation. Hello, bots and thoughters. The team and I at Salient Process are thrilled to bring you a new special guest from the 2023 OPEX conference, Joe LeCount, who is Cargill's Corporate Director of Continuous Improvement and has done an incredible job bringing process improvement and operational excellence to what will soon be all of their 160,000 employees worldwide. During this episode, Joe and I get into his story and his circuitous journey to leading OPEX at one of the biggest companies in the world, some fun OPEX stories from past experiences, and his secret sauce for going about leading OPEX at the enterprise level. It's unique, it works, and it makes me want to run through a brick wall. I am thrilled to bring you Joe LeCount from Cargill. So I have to do another go episode <laughs> on like health and wellness because I feel like I have a lot to learn from you. Yeah. Well, you look like you're first, 42 and yeah, no. just active as I'll get out. Oh, I mean, seriously, I just turned 63 a couple weeks ago. Joe, is it the, <laughs> the cargo meat? What do they put in it? I don't know. To, to me, the, the way I take a look at it, though, is your first wealth is your health. Yes. Because, uh, I mean, you can do... And, you know, you can do a lot of things, you can build a lot of things, you can, but if you can't enjoy it and, and you can't share it with people. And for, for me, the way I take a look at um, continuous improvement, too, is it's, it's, not, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. You know, so if I don't have the energy to convey, you know, the enthusiasm that I have for it, then I, that's a key element that, <laughs> that I'm yeah. just missing out on. It's know, a team. It, it is. These continuous folks. I've had other yeah. folks on the show, and I would say that there is a type. It's yeah. a it's a growth oriented type. It's yeah. a improvement type. Yeah. That if you don't have that gene, how are you possibly going to inspire others to absolutely pick up change? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you, you meet other people, and it's just almost like that immediate connection, or it's like, cool, you do that. That's awesome. You know, so you just keep on. You know, you just keep on learning from people. So, because I, I mean, people ask me, well, when are you going to retire? It's like, you know what? Anything to do with tired in it? I don't want to have anything to do with nice. it. <laughs> well, hey, speaking of your gene, continuous improvement gene, you now lead continuous improvement at Cargill. 
I'm curious if you could take us back. Have you always had that gene or when were you bitten by the continuous improvement bug? How did you get into this space in the first place? Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I went to college for electrical and computer engineering and thought that, you know, I'm just going to do, you know, electrical and computer engineering. And then all of a sudden, you know, straight out of college, I got um, hired in at Honeywell as a quality engineer in the Mark 46, Mark 50 torpedo. Mm -hmm. And Very I didn't even cool. know what a quality engineer was, but I <laughs> soon found out what it was. And to me, I just uh, absolutely fell in love with that whole quality, you know, continuous improvement, working with people. Because um, at that point in time, um, you know, back then it was kind of like production had their lines and then, you know, um, inspection and, and quality had theirs and the two never met. And it's mm -hmm. like, there's not I was, there. oh, huge, you know, and that to me was just an exciting way to take a look and start bridging the gap between production and quality and saying, you know, why is this such a secret? You know, inspection had their inspection procedures and they didn't want to share, you know, what they were taking a look at. And it's like, we're in the same, you know, we're in the same company. How can, how can we not share? So to me, it was an immediate opportunity to just start breaking down some barriers. And then, you know, from there, my passion just continued to grow more. I got involved. So keep it going. You were a quality engineer, Honeywell. How yeah. How did you get to being the leader of continuous improvement at Cargo? So I've had a, a number of uh, different jobs uh, over my 40 years of, of doing this. Um, so I was a quality engineer and then lead quality engineer um, at, uh, at Honeywell. Um, at that time, I really got into what they're calling JIT. JIT. Um, yeah, just-in-time manufacturing. JIT. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, it wasn't, so um, I, I had an opportunity to learn from Lean Sensei's, um, you know, for about 13 months. And just, that was another whole aspect. And the thing that really impressed me about having that opportunity is just the respect that you showed to the operators. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it wasn't about the hierarchy and stuff like that everything that you did as an engineer was really how do you serve that operator how do you make their life easier you know because they'd point out like why is that operator bending and stupid why does that operator have to walk all the way over there for raw material and things like that and that just absolutely you know that bugged me yeah <laughs> oh, yeah that's great. That's that's service to others, which is a, a fuel source yeah. for eternity. That's yeah. that's making a difference. Yep. Not only for a company's bottom line, but for you know a guy or girl that's going to work. Yeah. You're helping people. Absolutely. So that's really what kind of galvanized the bug for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was really. I mean, before the the phrase was ever termed servant leader, maybe I was servant engineer. Because you know, to me, it was how seriously it was. How could I make your life easier? You know, what is it? And I, you know, I I just kind of coined the phrase. I said, you know, if I could wave a magic wand and, and yeah. eliminate one problem from your normal workday, what it would you know, what would it be? Very non-threatening. You know, just helpful. Hey, you know, just conversational. Because a lot of times, um, I think uh, operators were really scared of engineers and mm. management and things like that. And so I really wanted to make sure that I, I broke down those barriers because I, you know, the, the funny thing is, 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 you know, I, I, when, I, when I was at Honeywell, 
I'm like winning all of these awards and stuff like that for cost reductions and stuff like that. And it's like, I'm not, not the, I'm not the one that should be getting these awards. I like the people because they would give me the ideas. And I've flat out said, don't give me award. And so I just said, give the award to the people that are giving me the ideas because I'm, I said, I'm like a kid in the candy store. I'm having the opportunity to learn from them. <laughs> so, so for me, it was uh, really fun. So then after um, Honeywell, I went to uh, Textron in um, out in California, and that was uh, aerospace and, and automotive fasteners, rivets. Um, I worked on the, a, the A320 um, uh, air wing, the rivets for the A320 uh, Airbus, mm-hmm. and worked on uh, all of the automotive fasteners. Really started to take a look at, um, you know, the plant there out in Santa Ana was just absolutely huge. Mm-hmm. So, and everything was in these really large silo departments. And so my job was to start to take a look and start carving up some of these and put, you know, put actual work cells where people were, you know, not just moving bins of, you know, massive amounts of material, but more, like I said, just in time manufacturing, cellular manufacturing, and really building teams and and saying, hey, this team has to get this output in this day. You know, so we went, you know, we started developing like hour by hour charts. But to me, just a whole camaraderie. It wasn't where we were pushing parts from one one department to another. It was really, hey, if I didn't talk to you, our whole production line was going to suffer. So it was really building a team. And that, to me, was the first, you know, I mean, we had quality circles and things like that, you know, at um, at Honeywell. or Yeah, at Honeywell. But this brought it to just a whole other level. And so had a lot of fun there. And then from there... Um, really started to take a look at uh, quality and ISO and, and things like that. And that really kind of sparked me because then, you know, the whole quality continuous improvement, it's like, wow, that's not going to work in this industry or that doesn't work in this industry. So I really kind of chose areas. So my next opportunity was with a, a, a small aluminum extruder. It was a, a job shop in northern Minnesota called Alexander Extrusion, now called Alexander Industries. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, you know, you can't do, you know, different, you know, quality. You can't do what you were doing. But that's like, yeah, you can. And so, I mean, we revamped lines. We, we relayed out the whole entire. In fact, you know, we came up with a whole entire plan where we built a structure over the whole entire plant so that we could gut the interior to actually move things around. So it was kind of almost like playing paper dolls yeah. and getting, you know, kind of the best layout for what they had. And that and, sounds so fun. Yeah. And and then from there, um, I went to Target and worked on a lot on optimizing their uh, their warehouses, uh, worked on, you know, merchandising, music, movies, books, all the area. I tried to touch all those areas that they said, you know, oh, you know, lean isn't going to work, JIT isn't going to work, um, help work on uh, some of the first super targets, things like that, mm-hmm. um, which is really very interesting. Sure. Um, and then I'm um, curious, why didn't they think if we could, Allison's great story for a second, sure. why didn't Target think that continuous improvement lean could apply in this area? 
just because it, they, it was seen more as a manufacturing versus transactional. So even taking a look at, you know, working with suppliers and orders and, and, and things like that from a sales standpoint, it was seen much more as, oh, yeah, that's manufacturing. Sure. We can't do it sale. Yeah. And so We're looking for raw material waste. We don't have that. Exactly. Yeah. And when when I started Absolutely. When I started mapping out some of their processes and they started seeing, especially like when we started doing like swim lane maps and things yeah. like that, and you started to see all the different crossovers and approvals and rework and, and things like that. Amen. I mean, it just, I mean, it just opened up people's eyes to a totally different world. And that to me was really exciting. You know, I always said I didn't really have to be smart. I just really had to have a really good memory of what worked in one industry and bring it to another industry that never seen it before. And they're like, oh, my God, this is great. You invented this. I said, I wish I could take credit for inventing it. I'm not, you know, I didn't invent it. I'm just kind of redeploying it. That's it's in an area of intelligence. Yes. Yeah cross pollinating ideas yeah. from one sector. So. Yeah. Adopt and adapt. You know, you take a look and, and 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 even if things don't exactly fit, there's elements and there's you know there's specifically core elements that you can always take a look and adopt and adapt. And that's what really makes it fun. Because oh, when yeah. you when you start to see a smile on someone's face like, you know what, I'm starting to get this. Yeah. And it's like yes. this is the best feeling. Oh, <laughs> Process improvement, automation, guy myself. There's, there's nothing better professionally than than seeing that smile. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good feeling and, and contagious for them. Like, oh, absolutely. It more. Yeah, the same. If yeah, you get that. If you get that number. Yeah. Um, so, so keep going. Well, Target. yeah. So from Target, I went to uh, uh, GE, and that's where I got my master black belt. And that to me was. Um, really a big shift i would say in my career because up until that point in time i mean i've worked with quality systems like milk milk 9858a iso things like that you know do a lot of tools process mapping you know bd matrix ishikawa things like that now all of a sudden you know going through you know the master black belt program at, at GE and getting my master black belt then it was like oh my god there's an actual process. There's the MAC or the MADV or DFSS to hang these tools. It's not just tools. It's like it's tools, but now you're hanging them in a process. And it just, I don't know why I didn't see it before, but I did. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I've, I've just hit Nirvana because now mm -hmm. I have a process that I can deploy tools and get a result. And I thought, you know, then I was really hooked. Then, then, then I had to just you know do what whatever I could to mm -hmm. learn as much as I could. So you know, I took the opportunity um, to to mentor as many you know yellow belts, green belts, black belts, because I thought you know some people would call this lazy. I just call it lean, where mm -hmm. I could learn from mentoring you know tens if not hundreds of projects, but I wasn't responsible for them. Mm -hmm. So. I could so I could either do maybe two, three, four, five projects a year, or I could potentially mentor like tens, if not hundreds, of projects, and just the breadth of learning that that I mean that was almost like a true step function. Yeah, that was and and just the learning of, um, you know, even if you have the best solution, if you can't 
get that best solution deployed through people. And that's where I really started to, to change from being very, I would say, tool and process centric to much more people centric. So it almost came full circle back sure. to my roots of, you know, no matter what, continuous improvement is really about change. And, and even though I'm excited about, hey, I'm improving your life, you're still the one that has to change. And if I can't get that point across, if the, if the excitement of that improvement doesn't override the fear of change, then it's not a good solution. They're not going to buy into it. Because the minute I walk away, it's going to be like, oh, yeah, that was really cool, but I'm still comfortable the way I've, I've been doing it for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So there's a lot of almost like muscle memory that you have sure. to take. And that's why, to me, the, the whole, you know, sea of control is that change that change leadership around that change and why it's so important. And to me, that that's where <clears throat> I would say for the bulk of my career now, that's where I really focus in on is a lot about the psychology of change. Why do people change? Why don't they want to change? That type of thing. But, but to, to go back to the career, um, you know, then I, from there I went into um, I was in Minneapolis. Yep, I was in Minneapolis, then I moved to uh, Indiana and um, was uh, uh, working for R. Dowling, um, and their uh, global printer, you know, magazines, books. I was in the book division, and again, uh, deploying continuous improvement valves, um, you know, the quality system, ISO. Uh, they had gone through, I think, like four different attempts to get ISO certified. Um, and, and again, that, that the, the framework I absolutely love because, it, again, it's kind of a very grounding. It gives you kind of that structure to hang your continuous improvement on, your quality systems on. Um, so then from there, um, went to St. Jude Medical. And so I was in the med device. And uh, again, uh, very people were really reluctant about, you know, uh, Lean Six Sigma, uh, especially lean, you know, removing waste. It's like, oh, geez, you know, are you gonna, are you gonna, you know, take shortcuts? Are you looking at taking shortcuts? This is med device. This is, you know, these are catheters yeah, that are going into someone's house. You know, so this isn't, you know, something that, and, you know, really that was a, another evolution. I would say almost an uptick in really kind of bringing that that whole mindset that no, this is, you know, we're actually making the product better. And we're involving again what you know the the actual operators. In fact, there's one time where I actually brought a doctor in because a lot of the, the a lot of the folks really didn't know exactly what they were working on. They just didn't know in a vacuum. Yeah, I mean they're soldering leads. The you know I don't have you do, but, <laughs> but I mean soldering you know um, leads that are thinner than your hair. Onto, mm -hmm. onto our onto rings, you know, under scopes and stuff like that. They just they just saw it as a, a job. When you know, when I brought a, a doctor in to say, "Hey, this is this is how important this is." I mean, we saw an uptick in quality like you would not believe. So just bringing that element of this is something because uh, I mean, some of the people said, "Hey, you know." 
my dad might be, <laughs> you know, having one of those yeah. catheters going through it. My son, my, you know, it just brought that personal it's home. A massive change. It is. It, and, and to me, that was, that again, that was so, so almost evolutionary of just seeing people like, oh my, I mean, I think about it now, people had tears. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Let's talk about meaning and purpose. Yeah. That's such good meaning and purpose. Yeah. So to me, that was really fun. And then, you know, from, from St. Jude Medical on Garda. So quite a, quite a wide variety of different industries, different experiences. Yeah. And I was noticing that's six companies. Yeah. Seven maybe. Yeah. 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 I'm curious, is there something to that? Is it the nature of your work where it's, uh, you get them over the hump, they're in a good place humming and rolling along and then, you know, move on to kind yeah. of the next challenge. Yeah. I think that was part of it. And that, that was part of my personal growth as well to mm -hmm. take a look at different industries that mm -hmm. just really didn't know anything about it. So when someone would tell me that, Oh, that industry, you can't do it in that industry. I almost took that as a challenge and said, Hmm, you know, uh, especially when they said it didn't work and mm -hmm. it's like, I know it works. I've yeah. done it before. Yeah. And, and it's not to be arrogant or anything like that. It's just, I know it works and I know it can help people and I know it can help people make people's lives easier. So why not do it? You know, so for me, um, because back at Honeywell, I had a really good men mentor. He was the VP of operations and I was just a lowly quality engineer. And uh, he was a mentor and I'd go into his office and we'd banter back and forth about, because yeah, I I wanted to climb the ladder just sure. like you, you know, I just out of college and and he looked at me one time and he said, Joe, he said, Don't tell me what you wanna do. He said, Don't tell me tell me what you don't wanna do and he said everything else is fair game. And I really took that to heart throughout my whole entire career because he would throw challenges at me. I'd take a look and say, I have no clue. Uh, how to do that, <laughs> but I'll figure it out. It smells like grief. Yeah. It smells like an opportunity. Yeah. 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 So I really took that to heart. So when there's different opportunities that, that pose themselves, you know, and I'll, I'll admit I got kind of labeled as, oh, you're a job hopper. You know, can't you keep a job? And to me, it was just this insane curiosity to, yeah. to explore different avenues because I never wanted to say that, well, you know what? I don't know that that would work because I've never tried it. And I can't say that I've worked in every single industry, but I think I have enough experience now sure. that I can honestly say that, you, you know. Pretty well-surrounded. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Adopt and adapt. Yes, yeah. <laughs> there will be <laughs> there will be some elements that, that we can always do. And the, and the beauty of it is now it, I can start working at multiple tiers of the organization. Um, because a lot of times Six Sigma is seen as, oh, that, you know, that mid-tier. And it's like, no, this can really be used at all areas, all tiers of the organization. We agree. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious. You gave a few stories that Dr. Run really got me. Uh, as you think back on your illustrious career of, <laughs> of, of change implementation, what are some special stories that come to mind? Either ones that stuck with you for some emotional reasons like, like that, or yeah. I love the, the, the operator on the floor improving their posture and 
that could really change somebody's life. Oh yeah. Um, or maybe even some, some business outcomes or yeah. quality outcomes or, you know, notable product changes. Uh, I'm curious, what are some of your favorite, you know, yeah. this is how it was. We did X, Y, and Z, and now this is how it is. Stories. Yeah, probably probably one of the biggest ones was when I was working at GE at a master black belt pro project where um, we worked with uh, like three big uh, computer companies and we'd get rebates and uh, we would, uh, you know, we, we would fill out all of the information and each, the three different computer companies had three different forms. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of like, well, what's going on with that? So... My, at first, I thought, well, I'm just going to really synthesize this, come up with one form that will be amenable to the three computer companies. But then when I started looking into uh, the actual rebates, I, I started to take a look at the, the amount that we sent in versus the amount that we received. And there's oh, wow. like multi-million dollar, like tens of millions of dollar discrepancies and come to find out when I actually started to take a look at, you know, some of the, uh, you know, some of, some of the, like the reconciliation, it's like, this makes no sense. Wow. And come to find out if it wasn't filled out correctly, they just throw it away. Say, no, this is wrong. It was kind of like, you know, you're in grade school, teaching <laughs> like your paper, so they just, so they just throw it away. And we didn't, we, we didn't have a, um, an accounting system that said, Okay, we should be getting you know five million dollars back for this. Did we actually get five million? It was just totally like, oh, here you go, and we were just going to trust that. And and so I actually put a, and it ended up being close to fifty, sixty million dollars, you know, um, in in about three months. In in money that your company could make if you hold these. In, in, in rebates that we would actually get back. So it was hard, fast dollars. It's an amazing story. Yeah. So you never know what you're going to find when you start oh, going on that. Yeah. Road. I mean, I, I started just, like I said, taking a look. I actually went to my boss at the time and I said, I think I found something. I would like to quit my job and I'd just like a percentage of what I'd yeah. to get back. He <laughs> said, Joe, if you found that much, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> And you're like, I'm not going to tell you what it is yeah. until you sign here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm no longer your employee. I'm now your consultant. Exactly. <laughs> Obviously, that didn't work out. I mean, and then uh, just some of the, maybe some of the fun stories that I talked about, you know, really working with operators. I think some of the fun fun ones that I did, even like with uh, technology, um, was kind of really flipping the lens on um, you know technology and saying okay we're, we're buying a technology why are, why are we buying this technology because I think a lot of people go into it saying that oh this is going to do everything for you and it's like you know sometimes it will sometimes it won't and and so we had a number of different machines you know, for, for packaging and things like that and I had developed um, you know like the V-squared mapping, you know, kind of like the SIPOC mapping mm -hmm. and things like that. And, and so I did this on, on the packaging machine. And I said, what is it that we're really paying for here? 
you know, we, we wanted a quick changeover. We wanted to make sure that, you know, this thing wasn't going to jam up. So we just started listing all of the different CTQs. And then we went back to the manufacturer and said, okay, if we would give you some black belts to help redesign this to these CTQs, you know, uh, would that be an advantage? And they said, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, having that kind of that systems engineer, you know, mentality. So we actually did that. And then we actually went back and said, okay, now we want a discount on this new machine. And they're mm -hmm. like, well, wait a minute. We didn't agree to that. Why, why, why wouldn't we agree to that? And we're like, well, if we were your only customer, yeah, that would be really stupid. But we're not your only customer. So our competitors charge two times, charge three times the amount. But, you know, what we, what we actually ended up doing is, you know, we – it kind of really transformed how, how we bought technology. We pay a third, a third and third, a third at contract signing, a third at, um, you know, when uh, the machine was delivered and a third when it would meet, you know, um, 1.33 or 1.67 EPK, CPK on the CTQs. And I'll tell you, that just transformed that whole technology from really? the standpoint of, wow, you know, because people a lot of times don't know what they're, you know, what they're buying in it, but you have to be really critical about, you know, and, and it, what it did is it really helped that, that packaging, you know, machine manufacturer mm -hmm. to really like, this is a really cool methodology. Yeah. Because now it's to the value brand. Absolutely. And yeah. they're going to deploy resources, CSMs, whatever yeah. it may be, to yep. make sure that you're successful so that they can get paid. Absolutely. It's transformational. Yeah. Plus, plus, I mean, talk, even before, you know, before, maybe it was industry, industry standard. There wasn't an industry standard there. But just talking to the engineers. Yeah, because they had talked to the engineers. Mm -hmm. It's like, and what? If, if it's... And, and this was this was a key learning for me, you know, talking and working with operators. A lot of times we design our quality system such that when it pops above a different like a severity level, mm -hmm. then then we get involved. Talk to the operator, and they're like, "It's not the severity level; it's the frequency of occurrence." Because if it never pops above mm -hmm. the, the the severity level, the ones that eat our lunch are the ones that happen time and time and time again, kind of call it death by paper cut. Yep. And, and that just totally reframed a lot of, <laughs> a lot of different stuff for me. When I really Interesting. Take a look at that. Interesting. It's not just the anomaly events. Yes. Just look for the death by paper cuts. Yes, absolutely. That's a really good lesson learned. Yeah. That Speaking. one was huge for me. Yeah. <laughs> Where was that at? Um, that was at GE. At GE, yeah. I'm curious. That's yeah. a great lesson learned. Any other lessons learned? The the successes and the wins, the 50 million bucks is great. Uh, third, third, third is great. Um, you've given our audience a lot of nuggets here, Joe. <laughs> I'm curious if, if if any other lessons learned come to mind, maybe some battle scars, maybe some, uh, yeah, learning through, through experience that yeah. could maybe help the next crop of continuous improvement leaders? You know, for me, when I, when I think about continuous improvement, like I said, I really did focus in a lot on the process and the tools and things like that. Mm -hmm. But continuous improvement is about people. 
at the at the end of the day here either positively or negatively impacting people's lives with you know what you do and i you know i teach you know our you know the the up and coming yellow belt green belt black belts that think about think of a process uh not as boxes but as gears so that you can start to think because they said you can go in and you may improve that gear and that gear is going to work really really well but What's it think about what you've done to this whole entire system. Mm-hmm. So it, it, to me, that was probably one of the bigger lessons learned that if I could pass on to your audience yeah. and really take a look at everything more from a systems perspective, you know, because the system is, is you know, it's machines, it's data, it's people, you know, how are you either positively or negatively impacting yeah. and just making, making sure that you're truly understanding all of the key mm-hmm. stakeholders when you're improving just so that you just don't suboptimize because you can you can tell that oh you know hey we, we did this and it's like but are you looking on that side yeah. of this at port and that side so so also if the bpmn standard people are listening we should change boxes to gears it makes a ton <laughs> of sense uh, <laughs> the microphone like i'm talking to bpmn the apqc yeah uh, that's great yeah, it kind of strikes me as the difference between working at somebody versus working with somebody. Absolutely. Nobody wants to be worked at, Yeah, you know, but you want to be worked with. Yep. That's yeah. a great lesson. And, and one, I think one last lesson learned is, I call it the 10% solution, is, you know, I, I know that we all work more than 40 hours, um, but how can we work towards four hours a week where we're working on our processes versus in. And what I mean by that is how do we really focus in on improving those, you know, taking four hours to improve our processes so that the other 36 are much more efficient and effective. Mm. Mm. Yes. Step back and, and take Come a look at that. Yeah. Your process. Exactly. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, some rapid fire questions. I'd like to step into a bit of a technology corner. Sure. Um, digital world, if we could, a yeah. lot of your experience is manufacturing shop floor. Yep. And that that's where a lot of Six Sigma activity happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a continuous improvement that you mentioned that happens in the back office. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right? Working with department heads across mm-hmm. all departments. Yep. You know, who's your favorite department to work with beyond manufacturing floors? Is it finance because of all the data and reports that are flying around? Uh, manual <laughs> work happening in there? Is it... HR because they have been maybe underserved in the digital transformation space for, for quite a while. Is it marketing? Because they can be the front door of your business. Yeah. And as you have customers, you know, nailing that moment where, you know, you have a customer on your front door responding yeah. in time while they're still attracted, uh, have, while they, you still have their attention, um, is important and continuous improvement and dare I even say automation. Mm-hmm. Can help with that stuff. Absolutely. So it's 2023, almost 2024. How is software intersecting with with your work? Yeah. And yeah, what what are your thoughts on this? You know, I, I think some of the largest opportunities, you know, for Cargill, and I would say for any large corporation, is just the massive amount of information that we have, and how do we, you know, how do we centralize? Because for me, that information is my lifeblood. You know, from a continuous improvement and really being able to, to, to focus. 
Um, you asked me about the, the different departments. Uh, next week, I'm actually doing a, a Kaizen with our HR department mm, and to so look at our onboarding and how, yep. how can we, you know, onboard, how can we be more of an employer of choice from, you know, the interview all the way through, I think it's nine months. So we're going to be wow. mapping out the process, taking a look at the North America process, and we have multiple, um, yeah. and, and, you know, people will, sometimes accuse me of saying, oh, you just want standard process. You just want everybody to do it the same way. And I said, no, I said, that I, I, no, I said, I'm really much more of an advocate of, of, of standard measure and then let the standard measure dictate where we need standard process. Because if there's not variation coming in, I, you know, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, and let's go ahead and, you know, and, and keep on. Do, but if, if we see wide swings of, you know, where, you know, one one plant can hire, and that person will just, you know, go right through that system. And then the other one is as fits and starts with getting anybody to even, you know, come to the plant. You know, those those are, you know, the opportunities for the data. Um, you know, a couple couple months ago, I um, I did uh, a kaizen one week kaizen in in Amsterdam for our um, uh, SAP ERP role, and just taking a look and saying. You know, how can we be much more efficient? How can we gather information? How do we even identify some of our key stakeholders and use some of the, the tools? You know, because performance dialogue, and that's the either the daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual um, performance to say, hey, these are the things that I care about. How can we have a meaningful conversation, you know, using data, not conjecture, not, you know, he did like, you oh, you did that. Now let's let the data you know, talk for us and then say, okay, what's working, what's not working. So um, huge opportunity that I see in, in all of our transactional areas, um, you know, IT, HR, the finance one, and, you know, trying to close the uh, the uh, reconciliation of the, the monthly, yep. you know, closing statements. Oh my God, Cargill has so many business units, are, are, you know, are on the globe and, and you know, different, um, accounting systems, you know, we've got legacy, we've got um, our SAP. So, you know, bringing all of those things in, um, you know, finance and, and even uh, IT. Um, I didn't coin this phrase, I stole it some, from someone shamelessly, but bringing, bringing it to everybody is you deserve what you tolerate. So, you know, why is it that, you know, we can't get this? I mean, if, if, if I'm a supplier to you and it's data, it's a widget, it's, you know, it's just, you know, it's this pen. If you're not satisfied with that, if you're saying, Joe, you gave me a blue ink pen, I need a black ink pen, yeah. I, you know, and I don't want it silver, I want it gold. But if, you know, if I hand that to you in January and in, you know, October, you're telling me that it's the wrong one, it's like, you kind of deserve I got 10 months worth of, <laughs> uns you know, you being unsatisfied. So just closing the ranks and having, you know, some of these functional silos actually talk not only within each other, but between each other is, I mean, that's huge. That's really starting to uh, crack even a bigger egg than yeah. just the operations and, and manufacturing. Yeah. So you are getting around departments. Oh yeah, with finance. Absolutely. Next week, how has technology, be it like process mapping platforms, process mining platforms, um, 
transformed how a continuous improvement team would approach a department uh, compared to maybe how a continuous improvement team would have approached a department in, let's say, 10 years ago? I think just the visualization is so important mm -hmm. because people kind of have uh, almost a vision of what they think the process is. Yes. But then all of a sudden we start mapping it out. That's, what we, that's exactly what we're going to do next week is we're going to be mapping processes out. And what I've seen is people know like this slice of, of their process, but when it comes to the end-to-end, -end, they're like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's like, it's that. a wall. It's yeah. a snake. Yeah. It's a rabbit. Exactly. It's actually an elephant. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on, am I touching the ear, the trunk, yeah. the, the leg? Yeah. And, you know, and, and so it's just, I mean, it's almost like light bulbs going on. So, you know, when you can have the tool to, to visualize that and then start putting in in-process metrics and then swim lanes to show some of the crossovers and some of the waste. Um, I mean, back in the day, we used to call them, might not be socially acceptable anymore, but we call them horror rooms where we would just have process maps just lined up. New people would come in and we'd just walk through the, the yeah. process with them to document. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? And they're saying, well, why do we do that? It's like, geez, I don't know. I've been looking at that for three years and never picked that up. <laughs> you know, so, but it, it, you know, just having that as a visual display is so important. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I think because it's such a simple tool, kind of people kind of like, ah, is there really any value in that? And even what I've seen, um, you know, even over the last three, four months in, in doing a lot of process mapping, you know, in, in transactional areas, is people will start blending what they actually do with what they want to do. And it's like, no, we have to map what we're actually doing today. That's why in a Kaizen, it's so absolutely critical to have people that are actually doing work on a day-to-day -day basis. Involved. Yeah, absolutely. Because, again, when you start to take a look at the change management, it's like, if, if I'm over here, you know, as the black belt, master black belt, or even the green belt, and, oh, I'm going to come up with a solution, then I hand it to you. It's like, how acceptable is that going to be? If it didn't come from the yeah, upper if, Yeah, if you didn't have any input in this, it's like, hey, I have a great working at me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're, so to me, that whole collaboration starts right, you know, right in that Kaizen mm -hmm. from, from day one when you start to take a look. And you start to understand the whole entire end to end. You understand, oh, you know what? I never understood what your key requirements were. And shame on me because I didn't ask you. Right. Yeah, <laughs> never asked. Yep. Um, curious, where's the line between you've mapped out the process, you're going to map out next week, you maybe even during that, that Kaizen, you come up with ideas to improve. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the times that happens if you yep. get the right people in the room. Yep. It's like, well, wait, why do we do it that way? What if we did this? Now you've got maybe an idea garden or a backlog of lists, a uh, list of ideas and opportunities. Yep. Um, some of them may be low tech, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, we, we, we like all types of automations and, yeah. and, and improvements. It's not always let's build a bot or let's yeah. build an integration yep. or you know let's build an, an AI model. It's not always that. Sometimes right. you can change where the field's on a form Absolutely. Or like make a field mandatory online. And how long does that take to do? No time. You yeah. toggle mandatory or not yeah. on a form. And yep. you've just eliminated weeks of, 
of downstream retracing your steps, oh, absolutely. You know, especially on high volume customer yeah. issues. It's not always high tech, but we love, we also love the technology ones too. Oh, absolutely. We love bots and we love integrations yep. and we love BPM type of solutions. Yep. Um, where does the line kind of fall between your team continuous improvement and then designing, developing and implementing the, the higher technology yep. solutions? So for me, what I take a look at is let's, let's get a low tech version of this and let's find out what the CPQs are. And then, you know, if it's speed, if it's accuracy, if it's human error, then we take a look and say, well, how does technology fill that gap? Mm -hmm. So it's really identifying what's the actual need, you know, cause I may, I may take a look at it and I'll have my set of CPQs, but then you yeah. take a look at it. You have your set of CPQs. Mm -hmm. Well, let's take a look at, at that whole end to end yeah, and, and, and then start to take, take a look and say, now where's technology best, I mean, de yeah. best deployed. Yeah. I'm kind of getting at like a, a, a diverse team. Yes. Like, a, oh, absolutely. you need the continuous improvement black belt, yep. but you also might need a data scientist. Oh, absolutely. Because they're going to come machine. up with those ideas that say, yeah. well, you know, you're you're talking about that form, but we could build it big, and they would, yeah, exactly. So, so you, you almost need that kind of that Vulcan mind meld. Of, and maybe a designer, like yeah. a UX designer, absolutely from a different absolutely management. Yeah, because right. I'll come up with I'll come up with a low tech solution and say, boy, if I could do this, then and someone's like, we've been doing that for years. That's mm -hmm. like really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to learn, yeah. You're a lifelong learner. You oh, absolutely. And you're already talking the the CTQs of, of RPA. Yeah. And it sounds like you've been around this for a while. And yeah, it's not maybe not natural for you, but it has become because this this openness to learning and this, oh, exactly. this team involvement. So you you do have a multidisciplinary team that you'll go into these events with, or yeah. is it like a, a readout after the fact? So we'll so we'll probably take a look because we we're having multiple locations. We'll, we'll get together and say, okay, each one has their nuance and some, some will call it secret sauce. Um, I, 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 I call it variation. Yeah, I call it variation, you know, and then optionality is probably one of the first, worst uh, variations um, because you, people will say, yes, I'm doing that. No, they're not. <laughs> so you, you think you're, you have a standard process and you don't. So, um, so we'll, we'll, we'll get together and, and come up with like all of the different pain points and then start to understand, okay, now are there some quick hits and then probably put together almost like a multi-generational uh, fix to this. Okay. Mm -hmm. To your point, what are some of the quick points? Yeah. Like a multi-phased, yeah. like a 20, 40, 60 year approach? Potentially. Wow. Potentially. That's Absolutely. Absolutely. Because again, one of the things that I want to take a look at is can we get to the point of mistake proofing the, mm -hmm. the process? Mm -hmm. Yeah, can you step back? Absolutely. You know, because I mean, um, so I, I mean, I'll do some low tech stuff, you know, just to test drive it because I like test driving the solutions sure. and, and say, that's the MVP. I would that's the agile yeah, approach. Absolutely. Because I mean, I can sit there and try to get perfection over months and months and months, or I can throw it out there and yeah. say, you know, what's the minimum viable solution that I can put out there and then 
have the, you know, have the operator give me feedback and then Joe, really missed the boat on this one, but this we really like. Okay, why don't you like this? Why do you like this? And it's, man, you, I mean, you could, you could learn uh, so much so fast. It's really, it's really, I mean, like I said, I don't have to have the ideas. And that, that to me is the whole idea, you know, from, from a cargo standpoint is I want 160,000 problem solvers. I don't want to have just a couple belts because if I don't have 160,000 eyes and ears and noses looking at things, it's like, then we're only going to identify the opportunities of what those trained people. And it's like, well, I want everybody to take a look at it that way. I think that's a great place to end it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Jeff. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bots and Thoughts, the hyper automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. Be sure to never miss an episode by hitting that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. Don't forget to connect and interact with us. You can find us on Bots and Thoughts' own LinkedIn page. And we're constantly running feedback surveys and ask that if you've made it this far in the episode, show us some love by responding to a survey and following us on LinkedIn. Finally, if you or someone you know would like to be a special guest on the show, we have a nomination form also down in the description for you to fill out. And with that, see you next episode and happy automating.